You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So here's a post-show insert. Uh, for some reason, I cannot uh, correctly say the name Brandon Phillips throughout this episode. I kept switching in back and forth and wanting to say Phelps. I do not know why. I apologize now. So just get ready for that. Um, I get so annoyed at, at people saying the wrong names when I listen to podcasts. So this is some nice comeuppance for me. So I apologize. Brandon Phillips. I know his name is Brandon Phillips. I know it, I swear. Uh, but for some reason, I kept wanting to call him Phelps. Uh, I don't know if I saw a Phelps as I was doing the research on this, and that stuck as I was going through all the Indians 2006 transactions. But thank you, and I'm sorry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, but I guess more like uh, trice, thrice weekly, not daily right now. So to finish off the What If, what if series, I want to take uh, a year and two days. I want to talk about a sequence of moves the Indians made over a year and two days that might have cost them a World Series. I, I know, hot take city right there. But you just bear with me. Give me an opportunity to explain everything that happens uh, that makes this occur. We are going to be starting on January 27, 2006. We will end on January 29, 2007. Um, as you all know, that's going to put us through, you know, the beginning of the 2007 season where they had the big lead and then it fell apart in the uh, the postseason for the, the Cleveland Indians against the Red Sox. So we're going to ignore some of the minor moves they made. But the big one here is on January 27th, they made two trades, the Indians did. The first trade is to trade Josh Bard, Coco Crisp, David Risky to the Red Sox for Andy Marte, Guillermo Mota, Kelly Shopik, and eventually Randy Newsom. Now, if you are struggling to remember the 2006 Indians, that's fair. Um, in a lot of respects, I don't think they really did a lot to make you uh, need to remember them. Uh, I don't want to seem like a, a jerk phrasing it that way. But it was definitely the year before something special happened, so we, we sometimes forget about that. The 2006 Indians, uh, I guess we should actually go back to 2005 Indians, if I'm being fair here. So 2005 Indians, that is a team that finished second in the AL Central. Um, I'm trying to recall, I believe, yes, the 2005 Indians were the heartbreak team, right? That's the team that... Uh, had the chance to make it the postseason and then like lost over the last two weeks of the season facing Chicago's backups and uh, a, a beat up Kansas City team on that team offensively uh, outside of Aaron Boone at third and actually Casey Blake did a lot of games in right field that year and he was close to average but Aaron Boone was not good at third base but the rest of the team was strong offensively uh, all across the board above average OPS pluses OPSs Jose Hernandez was their number one bench bat, and he was terrible, but that was also Jody Garrett uh, tricking some of us into thinking he was going to be something, or was that the, that might have been post us being tricked by Jody Garrett. This was the, kind of the end of the Jody Garrett run, as it were. So the 2005 Indians have this great run. We think they've got an opportunity to advance uh, into the postseason. It falls apart at the end. Cliff Lee had a strong year. Uh... Kevin Millwood had a fantastic year. And then you've got uh, CC Sabathia being average. That's the thing about Sabathia as you go through his numbers, and I think a lot of people kind of forget he was 
a solid arm, but it wasn't really until his last two and a half years where his uh, he started to miss more bats and became the stellar arm future Hall of Famer he's going to be. If Sabathia goes in as a Yankee, it kind of makes more sense. I know that's going to get people mad. Even as I'm saying it, I'm like, why am I saying it? But his best years kind of came there. That's where he won the championship. Um, Cleveland was more of his building time. It took him a while to get there. And in 2005, he was average. Uh, Westbrook was about average, as was Scott Ellerton. Uh this is the year where they almost had no what six players started games for them because they had such good health. Jason Davis is the only other starter. So that's okay. So that's that's set up one. You look at the bullpen that year too. That was a, a big part of that Indians team success. Raphael Betancourt was stellar. David Risky had had a strong season as well, though there was some FIP concerns. Bob Howry and Bob Wickman had been a really strong eighth and ninth inning. Now, I mentioned Risky, Howery, and, and uh, Wickman. They would all be traded in this year, or they would leave as free agents in this year that we're going to talk about. So they lose the entire back three of their pen. Uh, Scott uh, Sauerbeck was a solid reliever as well uh, at that point in time. And then their sixth reliever, uh, Arthur Rhodes, who had been you know, the former closer, was arguably the best pitcher on the staff that year in terms of uh, just anyone, in terms of how well he pitched through his uh, 43 innings. Uh, I mean, you're going to obviously lean towards a starter, but Rhodes was utterly fantastic. And I'll get to why that's a bigger deal in a second. So for the Indians, it's a lot of ways it's a weird like lateral move for them. And I say that because David Risky was good but they turned him into Guillermo Mota. They trade their backup Josh Bard. They get a new backup in Kelly Chopic. So the the bigger pieces kind of come down to being getting Andy Marte and trading away Coco Crisp. Now Crisp is coming off a fantastic year, and you know that that's kind of always going to be the headline of this deal. Guillermo Mota uh, in 2005, you know, at this point he had been uh, he had bounced around a bit. Like he he early in his career looked like a like a potential closer and waiting, but he could never really step into that role. And the numbers weren't all that strong. Um, it's he. It's kind of crazy just when you look at the how this even came to be, because before that trade, he was acquired from the Marlins in a trade in November and then traded to the Indians in January in that deal. So he never suited up with the Red Sox. And yeah, I mean, it's risky for Moda in and of itself is is a net loss. So that's, that's where you're starting off. Uh, Andy Marte, we should say the late Andy Marte at this point, was widely viewed as one of the top 20 prospects in baseball. And as we mentioned, Aaron Boone had been a dumpster fire at third base. Casey Blake had played some outfield. Uh, they were looking for that long-term third baseman. Uh, I don't know if they didn't quite trust Blake, if they wanted to have Blake more in the outfield. In some respects, this is them thinking they can put Blake in the outfield have Marte move into that third uh, third base position for them long term. Unfortunately, as we know, uh, Marte never lived up to the hype. Uh, it never came together. You go back to before that trade. You know, Atlanta had traded him away. He played a few games in the majors. Boston acquired him in a trade, and then traded him away without him ever suiting up. I'm having some computer issues. I apologize right now. But the year before that trade, that 2005 season, he had been he had had a strong year in the minors. Uh, high high walk rate, good contact rate, power. 
21 years of age in AAA. Like, he had every indicator. There was no reason to think it was not going to work out for Marte. Like, you look through his numbers. He had been successful at every step in the minors. He had been young for the level at every step. He had shown good power. He looked like a middle-of-the-order bat. Andy, I mean, we could do a what-if series just on Andy Marte. Like, if Andy Marte is what everyone thought he would be, uh, how does that change for the Indians? But his, his you know, essential failure to become a major leaguer in some respects is it's impossible to sit back and be like, what went wrong? I mean, yes, we could pour through things like scouting video and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's the numbers were there. And they they show a player who who should have succeeded and didn't. So they make that trade. They lose Coco Crisp, who goes on to have a long, successful career. Never really reaches the, you know, the peak he hit um, in that season. He is unable to replicate after the 2005 season. Like he was, I think sometimes we forget just how good he was in 2005. But for him, that was the, the high point. Fun fact on Coco Crisp, I always remember him as the player to be named later. Uh, for Chuck Finley is what I want to say in my head with Luis Garcia was the main piece being reported at the time. Uh, and I am correct in that. So he was a player to be named later who was more known for, you know, his name than anything else. And that 2005 season, he hit 300 an 810 OPS, a 117 OPS plus, And that would be his best season. He would get a top 15 MVP finish in 2013 with Oakland where he was... Uh, 20, 20 home run season for him, kind of an outlier. A solid player for a long time, rarely great. Like he was a three win player. So he's above replacement, a solid guy, not someone you want to pay a ton of money to. Like when he's making 11 million towards the end there, including, you know, his final season when he ends up getting uh, traded back to Cleveland. But the rest of the time, like he was a respectable player to have. He was a guy that did his job, you didn't need to find a replacement, and he could step in. The problem, of course, with trading Coco Crisp is something we will uh, talk about in one second. So again today on the uh, Locked On chat on Twitter, we have our own little DM conversation. We got into it again about which built bar is the best. And so far, the only negative I've really seen in that chat is from the one person who is kosher and uh, a vegetarian, and she can't eat the bars. The fact that it has gelatin means, yes, they are not a, a vegetarian item, but that also is why there's protein in it. And that is literally the only negative we have seen so far with Built Bar. We all really enjoy this product. Uh, we have fun arguing, fighting about it, which one we like best. Uh, it's been, I would say, everybody's favorite sponsor so far. So if you know you are looking for a protein bar that is tasty and not like a dense one that feels like it's a building material, if you want a tasty, uh, moist protein bar, Everyone over at Locked On is loving Built Bar. We hope they send us another. I mean, I, I would love if they sent me another sample box. I'll be honest. This is a, a really good product. Remember, that's Built Bar, B-U-I-L-T, Bar, B-A-R.com. Use the promo code Locked On to get 10% off. They've got some deals now where it's like if you order two boxes, you get 7% off. So then you're getting 7% off. And then after that, you get the 10% off. So there's stuff like that. And uh, I just got something in the mail about being, you know, since I did my order, they sent me like a 15% off code for my next order. So it's a gift that keeps giving. Uh, BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code Locked On. Our other fantastic sponsor today is 24 Life life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. Uh, this 
podcast, like I said, is being sponsored by them today. And this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as one of the greatest all-around players in baseball history, the beloved Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. The special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and co-author John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is an inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. Um, Before I dive in, I want to give another shout out to Mad Thinker. I don't always get back to your emails, but I I really do want to say thank you. I appreciate the feedback. Um, I really do. Uh, Once next week's the last week of teaching. Once that finishes up, I will be a lot better about such things. But a big thank you. Um, I do love getting feedback and me not responding to an email or a message on Facebook is not uh, because of any other reason than just busyness. So another thank you uh, to that. So the other thing, too, before we dive into more 2006 talk is I already know that this podcast is going to run long because there's so much to talk about. So I'm just going to see how long this goes. And then Monday's podcast might be a continuation of this. We're going to we're gonna wait and see. It's kind of a, a situation for all of us. So I want to skip one transaction because it's a big one. We'll come back to it. Um, it's going to have ripple effects. And let's talk about the 2006 draft, which happened that year in terms of Indian transactions. Now, the 2006 draft is actually a pretty solid one in terms of production. And Indians uh, drafted players that produced a 21.5 war. But there's some issues there. Now, first round pick, David Huff. They got that pick uh, as a compensation pick for the loss of Bob Howery. Now, the Indians actually gave up their own first-round pick uh, to sign Paul Bird, which was not probably the best decision at the time. He was a league-average arm, and the pick that they gave up was the 25th pick in the draft. It turned into Hank Conger, who's turned into a good major league player. This is a draft in general, this uh, 2006 draft. I don't want to say it's a bad draft because there's some stars in it. Uh, Pitching-wise, you have Clayton uh, Kershaw, Tim Lincecum, and Max Scherzer. Man, it's hard to believe how bad Tim Lincecum fell apart. I mean, remember that peak run where he was the pitcher? He still has a career war under 20, where when you look at Kershaw's at 68 and Scherzer is at 60. I mean, Ian Kennedy is a 17.5. Ian Kennedy is almost as much value through his career as Lincecum had in his. Uh, Evan Longoria is in this one. The top of the draft, Luke Hochaver, which, I mean, even at the time, this is right when I'm starting to follow drafts. I knew enough to be like, he didn't sign the year before and he went even higher. Uh, He had like one decent year in the pen for the Royals, but uh, just a head-scratcher pick. Uh, Greg Reynolds, two to the Rockies, was another one of those like, wait, he's not that good. Like, you know, he was one of those guys I don't think anyone thought was the top pitcher in the class, but signability. One can make a case the fifth round. I mean, it's not as good as the first round, obviously. When I talk about some of the names I talked about, there's some really good players in round one. But the fifth round had Chris Davis, Chris Archer. Oh, why am I blanking now? There's uh, Chris Davis was back-to-back picks with with Jeff Samarja. Yes, I did have to go look it up. I had forgotten. But that is probably the second-best round uh, for this draft. The Indians had four second-round picks, uh, another just kind of oddity of this draft because of some of the comp picks that they got. Uh, Scott Ellerton, who I talked about, had had a solid year. He signed as a free agent, so the Indians got a second rounder there. Uh, They took, I'm 
Wes Hodges, who had like hurt himself and was thought to be like a first round talent before that. And I, he, I thought he was the top five prospect in the Indian system at one point in time. Josh Rodriguez, who kind of bounced around. I kept, it was a shortstop who hit for power in the minors. Never quite came together for him. And then Stephen Wright, who they gave away for Lars Anderson. That's one of those kick in the pants. And then, you know, I mentioned Chris Archer. He was an Indian's pick. So the top two players in this class uh, for the Indians, arguably the top two players, uh, never pitched an inning for the Indians. Now, what is interesting is that this class has Chris Archer. It also has John Gobb. And 2006 uh, was the year that... uh, they acquired Jeff Stevens from the Cincinnati Reds, and those three guys would be what they would trade to get uh, Mark DeRosa down the line. So, But uh, the other two players of note you have to mention, Vinny Pistano, who did turn into Mike Clevenger, and Josh Tomlin, who had a, a really long, productive career. It is funny that Tomlin was in the 19th round, 20th round for Pistano, and 21st for John Gobb, which was arguably the best run for them in the entire draft in three picks in a row, even better than when they had picked 29, 56, and 57. So an interesting draft for sure for the uh, Cleveland Indians. Not the best choice to sign Paul Bird, honestly. Um, losing that first round pick, they could have done something with that. Not some great choices, and who they made is they just didn't get any production out of those players. So I mentioned acquiring Jeff Stevens. Should we just dive into this? Should we talk about uh, the bad move that they made? I think we have to. Now, this occurred before the draft. This occurred in April. Uh, Eric Wedge was this great manager, but apparently he couldn't figure out how to motivate or get Brandon Phillips to play. So after a few opportunities and chances, they traded away the very young Brandon Phillips on April 7th. Uh, He had, the Indians had tried him in 2002, 2003, 2004, and 2005. Now, saying 2004 and 2005, I don't know if that's fair, as he had a total of 33 plate appearances. He was given one extended look at the age of 22 in 2003 and struggled. He would go to Cincinnati in 2006 and be a below-average bat, uh, but close to average. And then in 2007, he would be top 25 in the MVP and have a really strong year. And from there, he would just go on a run of being one of the best second basemen in baseball. This gets compounded because later on that year, the Indians are going to trade away at the deadline Ronnie Belliard, who had been their second baseman uh, for them. The Indians, 2006, there are some saving graces. We'll talk about those in a bit. But first, let's focus on this. So they make this trade. And then because they have to fill that hole at second base because now they traded away Belliard. They traded away Phelps. They go looking for a second baseman at the end of the year. And the only guy that they can find was um, Josh Barfield. Now, at the time, I loved that deal. Now, with the ability of knowing about uh, advanced stats, it's like that was a dumb deal at the time. Yes. I mean, from my perspective, he had he had 13 home runs and 20 stolen bases, and he hit 280. Uh, but it was like an average season, and there were some indicators that he was a bit lucky. And he would play in Cleveland in 2007, 2008, 2009, and then never get back to the majors. For the Indians to make that deal, they had to trade away a pair of players. Andrew Brown, who we talked about how all the relievers the Indians lost. I forgot to go back and talk about. We'll talk about the part I just realized I forgot. Um, but Andrew Brown would then get flipped from San Diego to Oakland. And in 2007, he is average, and he's really good in 2008. He gets hurt, and that, that's the end of his major league career. He never works his way back from that. 
for 2008 over you know 35 innings he has a good year there are control problems but it's still you know a 2007 is FIP as a 293 it jumps to a 453 in 2008 but he's he's missing bats he's not really getting in trouble a 309 ERA two solid years of relief that's something that's value the other player in that deal was Kevin Kuzminoff who at the time Indians fans did not want to see get traded away understandably as he had hit 379 across the upper majors with uh 20 home runs that year or was it 20 home runs the year before uh he maybe but the power was like light tower power when he hit it he got all of it but he was a 379 hitter the indians miners had not been producing anything like their entire lineup was almost uh via trades at that point in time so trading away this player who's on the cusp of the big leagues to get their uh, second baseman. I was, like I said, at the time, I was dumb and I liked it, but it, it, I mean, it just blew up in their face. Because you, let's let's start flashing forward. You go to the 2006 season and uh, that's where they, partway through the year, you know, we're kind of in the process of all the trades they're doing. But 2007, uh, Barfield is terrible. Uh, Kuzminov had experience in the outfield. The Arthur Rhodes trade that I never got back to because they had to get an outfielder after trading away Coco Crisp. They got Jason Michaels, who wasn't good either. So, I mean, Kuzminov could have played left field. It wouldn't have been pretty, but he could have handled it. You could have had Brandon Phillips at second base and Andrew Brown helping out of the pen. And as you recall, when we talked about the, you know, the what if of this team, if they had had Adam Miller uh, or Michael Aubrey, the bullpen was pretty awful outside of like the Raffies. So if you add in Andrew Brown, he would have been an upgrade over so many pieces and parts that were part of that Indians bullpen that year. So they traded, they that trade hurt them at two positions. It made them downgrade their overall talent. And by having gone out and traded away Brandon Phillips, now that the next year they're forced to compound that mistake even more because now they Barfield isn't working out. They get rid of Phillips. They trade away Ronnie Belliard at the deadline. So what do they do now? Now they go out and they trade Chris Archer, John Gobb, and Jeff Stevens to get Mark DeRosa because they need a second baseman and they don't have anything internally. So now you're trading away, because they traded away Brandon Phillips, I think I've been saying Phelps. (laughs) I hope I haven't been saying Phelps. Brandon Phillips, uh, that just hit me. So I'm going to apologize now if I've been saying the wrong name. But since they trade away Brandon Phillips, First, they go out and give up Kevin Kuzminoff and Andrew Brown, who could have helped them. And then that still doesn't fix the issue. So then they have to go out and trade away uh, Chris Archer to try and fix the issue. And that is what happens because they Eric Wedge can't uh, apparently couldn't manage his personality. So because Eric Wedge, who's paid you know lots of money to manage personalities, couldn't manage this personality properly, the Indians gave up a future all-star pitcher. Uh, a useful reliever who would have been an upgrade and a guy who was a league average bat for about three to four years who would have been an upgrade on their uh, 2017 trying to fill a hole they created it's uh, what a what if like you keep like I said you keep Phillips he's an upgraded second Kuzminoff's in your outfield Brown's better in your pen you have Chris Archer who comes up naturally through your system even if they don't keep him, he's a much more valuable trade asset in a year. If they do keep him, how much that changes just the whole story about the current Indians and everything that's gone on uh, when you have Chris Archer as part of that rotation that we've talked about, this really good Indians rotation all those years. Imagine if you had Archer in there. This 
trading of Brandon Phillips. It's not just the fact that they traded away a guy and got very little. It's Then they were forced to try to fix it, and every time they fixed it, they made it even worse. And that makes this kind of a huge what-if scenario because it just spreads. Uh, we haven't even gotten into all of 2006 at this point. So if you're curious, I have about another 11 minutes in me on the 2006 season maneuvers and transactions. So we're going to save that for Monday. I will acknowledge there are two really great deals the Indians make that year. Um, to kind of help balance out the year sum, but uh, not you can't balance out the whole of it uh, just in terms of what they gave up and, and what occurred. But I hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening this week. I want to thank all of our fantastic listeners, all the people I interact with on a daily basis who enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate all of you who are listening in these times where we don't always listen to podcasts as much anymore. Uh, As always, you are fantastic. I am Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. And hopefully soon we can all say, Go Tribe!